And so I learned while researching this book that Christmas in the White House is full of great contradictions, a government created to be secular, filled with celebrations that must at least nod to religious traditions, a leadership that likes to think of themselves as humble, that sees holidays as a driver to economic growth, a citizenry that often strains to make ends meet, who look up to opulence in a season known for charity. In short, a fascinating subject for a book. Before I sign any copies of my new book, Christmas at the White House, I will take a few questions. Uh, yes, you in the red hat and felt green jacket. You think we could get about 50 cases of these books? Ship them up to the North Pole? What? You mean my book is already being asked for by good boys and girls? <laughs> no. We tear the pages out of the books. Oh, they make great bedding for the reindeer team after Christmas Eve. People think they don't get tired or sore taking fat-ass claws around the world in a night. <laughs> They're not drones, you know. With the royalties, I'll still have a great holiday. <laughs> you make that much money on bulk sales. <sighs> Any other questions? Coming to you from Chicago, Illinois, DB Comedy presents The Electables, Presidential Sketch Comedy and History for people who can't afford Hamilton. Today, a special episode, Holidays in the White House. Oh, right, the the bombs. Yeah. Yeah, the Tannenbaum. About the, Han the, the, the Hanovers. Mm -hmm. Wasn't she, like Victoria and the other Hanovers, wasn't she related to the Habsburgs and something? She was related probably. to all of them. Seriously. I mean, probably, yeah. I mean, well, her, yeah, she had a grandson leading each of the three major powers in World War I. Mm -hmm. You'll be happy to hear that her, uh, I, I decided about 30 seconds ago to start recording because it suddenly struck me it was yeah, oh, great <laughs> since we're talking about various foods that aren't American. Well, that I mean, Joe, we need to talk about we American. Want, uh, we don't want our traditional, you know, Christmas hot dog platters. Absolutely. Or not. your, uh, you know, Jello casseroles. <laughs> okay, what's wrong with Jello casseroles? Not to mention hot dogs and blankets. It'll especially little baby hot dogs. And my sister always does pigs in a blanket. That's like every Christmas. Pigs in a blanket is fine. I will. I, I will quibble with your your question of what is wrong with. Jello casseroles, Joe, because <laughs> I, I think the correct answer is literally everything. Everything. Ah, uh, but if, everybody, the... if somebody could have come here and said, "Ah, but Harry Truman was the first president to serve a Jello casserole during the holiday," why? I, I wouldn't be, be surprised. Yeah, it sounds and, like a real fifties thing. This is more Eisenhower. Yeah. Jello. Yeah, yeah, Eisenhower would do. Mamie yeah. Eisenhower coming in with her with her fucking. Uh, I brought you a Jello mold for jello mold. beef and asparagus. <laughs> Enjoy. Olives and tuna fish. Enjoy. And thus we have awkwardly begun our conversation about holidays in the White House. Rosalind Carter coming in with an ambrosia salad. Ooh, that sounds good. <laughs> Truman would not have had if he had, if he's if Bess serves a jello mold, and I'm not saying it's beyond her. I mean, she was an anti-Semite, so she had several objectionable traits. It was served in Independence, Missouri, not in the White House. They spent most of their Christmases back home in Missouri with company. I think don't, As a lot of the presidents did. It didn't become, and we will talk about this, it didn't become a White House tradition till much later. So most of them took the day off and actually went to their all prospective actual homes and I mean, did part, quiet Christmas celebrations. Well, most part of that is also because Washington, D.C. is an objectionable place to be most of the year. Mm -hmm. Also very, but it was also very far from the president's home and travel was very difficult, say. I mean, Lincoln, for example, was president during a time of war and was several hundred miles away from home. And for Christ's sakes, home was Springfield. <laughs> so he celebrated a lot of Christmases, you know, when he wasn't, you know, monitoring the progress of the Civil War, you know, saying read, nice things to the dead or mourning a dead child. I read that he had pardoned a turkey at Christmas that would like predate Thanksgiving as a federal holiday. No word if he pardoned all those Sioux in Minnesota, but I, I don't think it looks good for them. <laughs> he he tried. 
And did he, he was still hanged for treason because it was. If I remember Turkey. correctly, he did issue a pardon for most of them. But well, that's that's in I the spirit of the holidays. Six of them ended know. up still getting executed. I believe they did. And to think we now have we got to the point where we had a president that could uh, vacation in his summer home outside the country in Hawaii. Hmm. Too soon? Is it too soon? Okay, never mind. Well, uh, normally we here have a historian, but uh, this was a little show we decided to put together rather quickly. So we so did. It's all about family for the holidays. We, yeah. So we and we're the DB family. Exactly. Yo, are you saying that we put something together slapdash and in a hurry? I, I, I'm, I'm in a hurry. There's nothing slapdash about it. <laughs> As the producer, I can attest to this. But as people will begin to listen, you will notice a certain 20th century lean to most of the sketches. Because I think most of us probably presumed that Christmas at the White House was was a thing that went all the way back to colonial times. Not true. Not true at all. But that's not so much because of America. I mean, Joe, that that might be... Partially because there wasn't a White House until 1814. But also the whole, as as Sandy has talked about, and I'm going to try to identify, we should identify ourselves so those of us who, those of you who have heard our voices can start to attach a name. Those of you who have listened to 10 episodes already. God love you, too. Please. <laughs> Listen to them more and get your friends to listen to all 10 as well. And we'll talk about how to donate later, too, because it is the holidays and that's what you do, damn it. Anyway, Sandy, what is there sort of a rational, maybe non-American history reason why presidents in the White House didn't celebrate Christmas? Well, Christmas was not really a big public, definitely not the secular holiday it is now. I mean, it was always a quiet family thing, you know, not with the big trees and not, you know, definitely all the decorations that we've got. That has kind of evolved into a more modern thing. Actually, I mean, it did start Abigail Adams. I think the Adamses were the first to actually have a party, but I don't think it was like the big soiree that, say, Andrew Jackson had. Yeah. I mean, I think only it, Andrew it, Jackson could wrap up a party with a fight. Right? What happened? It was a snowball fight, fight Gina. Inside. I can't imagine Inside that didn't evolve into a fight. Yeah. yeah. I, Very I few bet fatalities. at least one person went out of there with a black eye. Um, <laughs> but, you know, also, Bill, on Danny's point, you know, the Americans really inherited the view of Christmas that the Puritans brought over, which was that it uh, shouldn't be celebrated at all. And so it really wasn't until the mid. 19th century when the Victorians really got into the swing of Christmas that they imported it over here to us. It's weird to think of the Victorians as a more lenient group than anyone, but there we go. <laughs> On the other hand, Puritans probably would have hated Jello as much as anybody else. So. The Victorians know, were I mean, also very I, committed capitalists, and what is more commercial than a Christmas celebration with your chestnuts and your wine and, you know, and your Christmas goose. cards. Mm-hmm. And your Coca-Cola since, like, the 40s or 50s. That's well, Coca-Cola was the... Coca-Cola created the image of Santa Claus that we now see as the big the big red suit, big white beard, kind of portly, jolly. Well, they created, up the, col- the, gills. They, created, they created the color scheme, Joe. Thomas Nast the- actually created the modern image of santa claus are we sure he wasn't yeah are we sure he wasn't drawing boss tweed just like i mean that's a question for the ages i would i would hope not because the the implications of santa being anything like boss tweed is mind-boggling although it does explain the l's I don't believe we introduced ourselves like we said we would. <laughs> we started trying. Well, first of all, let's let's say hello to our two regular members who are not here this evening. Uh, Ramona Joy, Sylvia Mann, we miss you both. You will hear them, uh, Ramona as Mrs. Hoover and Sylvia as Mrs. Reagan. Cindy Lou um, Hoover. Cindy Lou Hoover. Cindy Lou Henry Hoover. <laughs> um, so ladies first. Well, you already heard me. I'm Sandy. Hi, I'm Gina. And that's it for the ladies. Yep, that's it. <laughs> Gentlemen. We, we don't here. have any kind of order or anything. I'm Patrick. <laughs> right. 
age before beauty here. <laughs> and pearls before swine. <laughs> despite despite being the young swine, I'm Tommy. <laughs> and despite being the old swine, I'm still Paul. And I'm Joe. Good old producer Joe. Good old producer hey, Joe. Joe. I feel Great like we needed the Joe. we needed the Walton's uh, harmonica. <laughs> so, in another conversation we were having just before I hit record, a conversation about all those weird foods that you really only have around Christmas, like sugar plums and figgy pudding and wassail, and how most of them were. Victorian British in origin, and I've been talking a lot, so somebody else pick up the conversation from there. Where did we pick up all those traditions? I believe Dickens kind of started (laughs) what is our tradition of Christmas with the Course of Christmas Carol, but I I believe, uh, I think Paul's right, it was was a capitalist endeavor from the jump. And I actually think Dickens did make a good amount of money on the book. Indeed it was, and it was a pagan endeavor from the jump. A lot of our Christmas traditions, like the tree. Tree and the lights. Santa, the I mean. What was the first closeted Christmas tree? Who came up with that tidbit? <laughs> Little Archie Roosevelt. So the Roosevelts, Teddy Roosevelt and his family. Again, so they were amongst the, uh, the families that never really had a tree. It wasn't part of their tradition. And it doesn't say why, but little Archie Roosevelt took a tree, a little Christmas tree, and hid it in his closet. So I don't know when he became when he came out of the closet, but evidently Teddy was uh, amused. Uh, and, knowing, uh, yeah, knowing Teddy, he wouldn't have you know he would have wanted Archie to shoot the tree himself. <laughs> well, actually, but so, he was amused, and it became it came out of the closet, and then they've had it ever since. <laughs> but it was some, not that was not the first Christmas tree in the White House, as we now know. This this is true. Yeah. But I, uh, some historians actually believe that uh, good old T.R. didn't like putting up trees because of he was such a you know, conservationist. Conservationist. Yeah. Yeah, I think again what I read, what, what you said, Patrick, was that it just it just wasn't their tradition. It wasn't of that common a thing. Now, it was, believe, there wasn't a tree in every home like it is now. I believe Jimmy Carter's son also smuggled trees into the White House, but that's not the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Him and his uncle Billy, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so, but the the first uh, the first electric tree was uh, actually Grover Cleveland put it up in 1894. Partially because before then there was not a, any electricity to light up a tree. Uh, the White House didn't get that until 1891. So are we talking like two non-consecutive strings of lights or what are we? Yeah, he he, actually, he lit the tree on two non-consecutive occasions. The White House Christmas card was married one year and then Christmas the next. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know quite know why the... Uh, well, the Christmas lights have been an issue since the first Christmas tree was lit in 1923. The director of the Washington, D.C. school system somehow cajoled Hoover, excuse me, not Hoover, Coolidge, <laughs> hard to remember Coolidge, into dedicating a national Christmas tree. And he didn't speak. Well, maybe he did speak, but who could hear him? He was silent Cal. So for the first few years, I mean, Christmas was first broadcast over the radio. The, the National Christmas Celebration was first broadcast from the White House in 1923, but it took until 1927 for a president to actually make an address. And he said, "Okay, I'm turning on the lights now." Bam. Well, for the previous for the previous three years, they're just been choirs singing. Well, no one makes more stimulating ra- radio than Silent Cal. <laughs> And now, Dumont, the voice of American progress, presents A White House Christmas, brought to you by Hubris and Bubble Investment Bank. Live from the East Wing of the White House, here's President Herbert Hoover. Hello, fellow citizens. This is the head honcho himself, wishing you the very merriest of Christmases from our swank new digs in the nation's capital. And I'm his devoted wife, Lou Henry Hoover. Wishing all Americans a healthy and wealthy 1930, full of love, luxury, and success. I predict that the 1930s will be a time of stupendous economic growth in the United States. 
Don't let those nervous Nellies scare you by fretting about the recent stock market correction. The American economy is going up, up, up like a Zeppelin. So don't be afraid to spend, spend, spend those dollars like they'll soon be worth less than the Reichsmark. Flappers, feel free to Charleston down onto the ritziest department store in town and splurge on a gay new Chanel dress for the holiday season. Housewives, order some shiny modern conveniences from the new Sears catalog. Gentlemen, reward yourself with a new 1930 Duesenberg Model J and then take your best girl on a ride to the movie theater, the dance hall, speakeasy for some bathtub. I mean, the ice cream parlor. <laughs> Plan a Christmas feast for your family and friends, like the sumptuous spread we've set up for our friends and family here in the tasteful, well-appointed White House dining room. The tables are piled high with pheasant, caviar, bottles of champagne. Demon herb. I mean, very bubbly mineral water and cherries, jubilee, roast goose, porterhouse sticks, oysters, lobster. And look, here's the head White House usher, Ike Hoover. No relation, of course. Come to marvel at how the other half lives. Merry Christmas, Ike. Uh, Merry Christmas, Mr. and Mrs. President. Uh, the basement is on fire. <laughs> So is the basement on fire some hip new jazz age slang that means what a great party? No, it's plain English for the basement is on fire. It's in the West Wing. Can't you smell the smoke? Oh, don't be silly. That's just the delicious scent of honey cured ham roasting in the White House ovens. Ha ha ha, poor Ike. So unused to fancy living. Dictionary on the Ayurfe Octe, Ike. We're trying to have an Ingway Ingay. Mr. Hoover, you can't solve a problem by ignoring it. There is a real disaster happening. You must respond. <laughs> Off with you, Cassandra. Young men trade in those cheap camel cigarettes for a box of healthy Cuban cigars. Young ladies trade in that tatty cloth coat for a new mink stole. Oh, like all of Mrs. Hoover's mink stoles that were being mended in the basement of the West Wing? Saints, preserve us! Like the party pooper you are, Ike. I'm afraid the party is already pooping, Mr. President. go for hoover when he blew off lighting the christmas tree who cares um, <laughs> for that matter how did anything go for hoover not especially <laughs> well let's see his first christmas in the what no that was actually carter that many disastrous things happened to carter of course but uh, i mean that's just true in general <laughs> but uh, i'm sure whoop. ford had a tree fall on him he must have right carter no, he fell onto the tree. <laughs> didn't carter have a solar power tree if he didn't, he should have. <laughs> Hoover had, you know, his first Christmas in the White House. He was, you know, getting ready to give his address. And the White House caught fire. There was no damage except for some water and smoke damage in the executive offices in the basement of the West Wing. But uh, it was not a harbinger of good things. And good things did not happen to Hoover. And... He was so discouraged and disgusted by the time he lost in 18, 1932 that with that flair for public relations that he displayed so often during his presidency, he just went off on a luxury cruise with Lou Henry during the Christmas holidays in 1932. And then came back and was so harassing of FDR that they changed the Constitution so you could take office in uh, January instead of March. But we're going to get to that at our next special episode shortly after this special episode about presidential inaugurations and transitions. No, How no. was that for a plug, ladies and gentlemen? We got special episodes coming out all wazoo. <laughs> a cr presidential Christmas can be a source of national comfort and unity when you have an actual president in the White House. The uh, speeches for which I quote, in, which we quote, 
in the Roosevelt sketch are the actual words of a president and a prime minister who were very obviously not Donald Trump and Boris Johnson. <laughs> and that's why the White House Christmases were a nice were kind of a nice tradition uh, during the war because Christmas was the one day that the factories were off. They didn't get the other holidays. They didn't get Thanksgiving. They didn't get Memorial Day. So, but uh, there were time. There was a couple of more bleak years during the light, the Christmas lightless years, when Eleanor, you know, when the White House social director said we maybe we want to skip it this year, and Eleanor was like, "Oh hell no." <laughs> well, actually, it was Eleanor's so It's probably more like, "Oh hell no." But uh, she wanted Christmas to be a light for the American people, a moment of joy, a respite of joy, because you know, mm -hmm. she was Eleanor, and she was awesome. Ah, jolly good, Winnie. Even though Japan is the enemy who attacked us, we'll focus our military efforts on defeating Hitler. Just as well, quite sobering to imagine Nazi thugs terrorizing and murdering the French people. And denying the French people their God-given and oft-exercised right to terrorize and murder each other. Speaking of terror, should the USSR survive the German onslaught, we must restrain Stalin from slaking his unquenchable thirst for blood. Christ, Winnie, can't we take a break? It's Christmas Eve. I'm giving a radio address before I light the White House tree in, in a few minutes. Why don't you join me? Say a few words. Quite right, Franklin. We shan't allow the threat of a global fascist takeover to prevent us from donning elf hats and singing jingle bells. Perhaps I'll ring Hitler and ask him to discontinue the Blitz until after Boxing Day. Such a sourpuss. Would it kill you to smile? I shall frown on the beaches. I shall frown on the landing grounds. I shall frown in the fields and in the streets. I shall never surrender my sullenness. If I were your wife, Winnie, I'd swap your cigar for a candy cane. And if I were your husband, Franklin, I'd tell you to suck it. I consented to spend Christmas in this classicist calamity you call an executive mansion solely because I believed we'd be mapping out military strategies. If I'd known you were merely inviting me to a holiday party, I'd have tended my regrets and sent a fruitcake. My chancellor of the exchequer, perhaps. Fine. Think of it as psychological warfare. Hearing the world's two greatest democratic leaders celebrating Christmas will offer people hope. There's no greater weapon than hope. Congratulations, Franklin. At last you've authored a bromide more vacuous than that nothing-to-fear-but-fear-itself tautology. Shall we hope that bombs don't fall upon our houses? Well then, if you're so determined to be a Scrooge, I won't bother inviting you to Christmas dinner tomorrow night. You can sit in your guest quarters and starve. I'm humbled by your kindness, Franklin. And what exactly is that supposed to mean? Merely that your head cook, Henrietta Nesbitt, is renowned for her alchemical ability to transform the most delectable of ingredients into the most indigestible of entrees. Well, far be it from me to question an Englishman's expertise on awful food. But actually, we were going to give Hen the night off tomorrow and order Chinese. But if you don't feel sociable, I'm sure she can be persuaded to stay so she can boil some chicken and send it up to your room. Unless, of course, you decide to make this radio address with me. Blackmail. I find this insult to my dignity almost as hard to swallow as one of Henrietta Nesbitt's pork cutlets. Uh, all's fair in war and more war. Just a short speech. It's all I'm asking. I've nothing prepared. I, I shall make an ass of myself. Don't worry. No one listening is able to vote you out of office. Wheel me out onto the balcony, would you? <clears throat> Our strongest weapon in this war is the conviction of the dignity and brotherhood of man, which Christmas Day signifies, more than any other day or any other symbol. Against enemies who preach the principles of hate and practice them, we set our faith in human love and in God's care for us and all everywhere. We have joined with many other nations and peoples in a very great cause. Millions of them have been engaged in the task of defending good with their lifeblood for months and years. One of their great leaders stands beside me. Fellow workers in the cause of freedom, this is a strange Christmas Eve. Almost the whole world is locked in deadly struggle. Armed with the most terrible weapons which science can devise, 
the nations advance upon each other. Here, in the midst of war, amid all these tumults, we have tonight the peace of the spirit in each cottage home and in every generous heart. Let the children have their night of fun and laughter, and let the gifts of Father Christmas delight their play. And so, in God's mercy, a happy Christmas to you all. So that's what you call making an ass out of yourself. Sometimes I overestimate my abilities. And now can we talk about how we're going to keep Stalin from turning the entire German nation into a Soviet prison camp? Fine, fine. But before we discuss Stalin, can I at least ring for a plate of Christmas cookies? As long as Mrs. Nesbitt didn't bake them. No, Eleanor baked them herself. Dearest Eleanor, she's made my day. Oh, she makes my day every day. Ha ha. Was that a laugh? It's a Christmas miracle. Let's talk a little bit about those speeches by um, Roosevelt and Churchill. They were speeches by Roosevelt and Churchill. Um, but I think, I think they represent a time where Christmas was, and this is sort of, I always think of this around the holidays where I was like, when I was a kid, was it like this? Or had it already passed and I was just imagining it? But a time when Christmas was when we would set aside our differences as a nation and stay home, I guess which I, I suppose we're doing now, but, you know, it was, uh, it, was a, it was a time for unity, and I definitely don't feel that now. You do bring a good point, Gina, about, you know, the speeches. When we talk about the British origins of the American, of American Christmas, there's Churchill talking about Father Time, delight, no, excuse me, Father Christmas in time, delighting the children. So, you know, you have yeah, Father right. Christmas right there. Father Christmas willing to pound the hell out of Germany, and who can blame him, but still. Well, I mean, uh, you know, Christmas is as American as apple pie and baseball, meaning we stole it from the English. <laughs> baseball? Oh man! I mean, it's great. It's basically just cricket. We still Come have at jazz. me, baseball fans. <laughs> we still have jazz, right? Like jazz is still American. Jazz is We've ours, one yeah. thing. Okay, yeah. thank God. Yeah, and, and by ours, I mean it belongs to Black America. Right, uh, right. <laughs> no, fair. All, all the good things, all the good culture that started here, pretty much does. Mm-hmm. I had wondered with it becoming such a big, almost mandatory spectacle, does that have anything to do with the rise of like religious movements in the second half of the last century? Does anyone know? I'm, I'm sincerely putting the question. You know, there, there's certain there's certain first ladies that we sort of look to and we talk about Abigail Adams for first Christmas. When you're looking at the actual Christmas, I guess the modern era Christmas, I think who that's else? really Jackie Kennedy. Who else? Jackie Kennedy yeah. made a big deal. Yeah, she's yeah. the, the one theme. who started the idea of having a theme every year. Also mm-hmm. putting the Christmas tree in the blue room so people could see it. Uh, well, I think that was that was Mamie Eisenhower did it in the Mamie did moved first. it to the blue yeah. room out of the it was the oval room before, which was more of a private room. Guess until... who painted six of the eight White House Christmas cards that you know were sent out during the Eisenhower administration. Nixon? I don't know. Eisenhower. Dwight himself. I forgot he was a painter, but of course there's that great Bob Hope line that he could finish a painting in fewer strokes than a round of golf. <laughs> Bob Hope no, was, but, I think, kind of mean privately. Nixon gets credit for the first gingerbread house in the White House. <laughs> oh yeah. So Tommy, tell us about frosting Nixon. Yes, of course. Oh, yeah. but I believe the the issue was that it was a uh, it was a wiretapped gingerbread house, uh, <laughs> and of course, you know, yeah. Uh, what what was it? They they eventually haul him out. I think uh, Agnew had already loaded a briefcase full of candy canes and just split for the border. <laughs> I'll give him that. They caught him on the run. At least he had the brains to run. But then, uh, you know, no one left. So I think Ford took us out of that our long bout of national indigestion, as Paul I believe <laughs> remarked. <laughs> But kind he vouched of, and then pardoned himself. But, yes. but then, see, but then Laura Bush took the uh, White House uh, gingerbread house concept to its most meta by being creating the first actual White House gingerbread house. Get it? 
I feel like that's asking for trouble. <laughs> if you're going to eat your own home. Yeah. I mean, was that after the British burned down the previous gingerbread house or? Um, no, no, this was Laura Bush. <laughs> um, mind you, of course, as if, if you're listening this far, depending on where this part of the conversation flips in, you will have realized that we have done no sketches about Kennedy or gingerbread houses, or even Nixon, for that matter. They'll get, hit, we'll get to Dick. Oh, yeah. Oh, several times. Uh, I mean, where do you... I mean, how do you grab onto Dick Nixon? <laughs> Apparently, Pat went overboard every single Christmas. She decorated every room, and she... Uh, yeah, she said, this is the nicest house where we'd ever lived. I mean, Pat <laughs> was a grasper. Yeah. Just like her husband. Well, so, I mean, well, he had such a broad base yeah. with the American public. Cloth mm -hmm. coats and all. <laughs> but, but, I mean, going back to Sandy's talking about how most presidents would go to their, I guess you would say, birth home or sort of host, home state for the holidays. Nice. That would mean Nixon actually stuck around because. Uh, where was his? Where was his? Uh, California. 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 I can't yes. imagine he'd be welcome back at Christmas or any other time. <laughs> Not <Really>? in the seventies. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't as bad as like W, pretend like harvesting tumbleweeds and Crawford. <laughs> well, I think he saw Reagan do it, but of course W doesn't know how to act. So mm -hmm. the Nixons never left the White House during. I mean, Nixons, like I say. They had arrived where they were always meant to be at Christmas. So they loved the Christmas White House. They never went back to California. They had TV specials. God, I hope they're on YouTube every single year, except for obviously when, they're, when they've been overexposed by the Watergate hearings. Now, is it like the Bing Christmas specials where like rock stars will walk in or is it way worse? <laughs> I don't think well, he, was, he was hanging out with Sammy Davis Jr. in those days. So at least he had Sammy. And Elvis dropped by one Christmas season, but it was to offer his services as a DEA agent. And I believe to present him with a golden gun. Yes. Well, that, a gold, a gold loaded, plate. Uh, 45. That was loaded? I believe it was. You could I mean, hand the president a loaded gun in that time? It it's the 70s, man. <laughs> Nixon would probably loaded himself. Who's going to frisk Elvis? <laughs> well, I would have liked to, but, you know, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> Don't touch that Aztec cape, man. <laughs> Don't do it. And, I mean, I just want to see how many like fried peanut butter sandwiches he can smuggle in his in those uh, voluminous pants of his. This is getting real odd. <laughs> like like Christmas itself. And now, Demont, the voice of American comfort, presents a White House Christmas. Brought to you by Shopworn Cardigans. Live from the White House fireplace, here's President Jimmy Carter. Hello, America. This is President Jimmy Carter, wishing you the happiest holiday you can manage to have in these troubled and difficult times. And this is First Lady Rosalind Carter, wishing you all that and more, much more, really. And we're joined by our precious little daughter, Amy, who joins us in wishing all Americans a Merry Christmas. And, and a Happy New Year. <laughs> Indeed. Even though this year, which will be dying a merciful death in a few days' time, was not the worst in history, it provided more than its share of suffering, as will next year, in the looming shadow of which we now quiver. But we're blessed to have the holiday season so we can escape our troubles for a while and appreciate what's really important. Friends, family, and most important, love. Wouldn't you agree, sweetie pie? Sure would, Ma Mommy. <laughs> yes, love is the most precious resource we have, even more valuable than oil, the price of which is skyrocketing every day thanks to unrest and upheaval in the Middle East. However, like the sun and nuclear power, love is a renewable source of energy. I wish all Americans could see how lovely the White House looks this holiday season, decorated with festive ornaments made by volunteers all across the country. 
And I would like to thank all of those volunteers for donating their time and effort in return for no payment from our bankrupt government. Such sacrifice provides a tiny measure of joy this holiday season, which distracts us from the malaise that now infects every aspect of American life, and external threats like the mullahs who, even as we speak, are plotting to kill us all. It just shows that we as Americans are stronger than the problems we face. Isn't that right, honey child? Sure, sure is. Are you almost done, mommy? Daddy? In just a moment, baby girl, you've been a real trooper. Yes, mindful of the energy crisis, the electricity needed to broadcast this message is being generated by our own beloved Amy, pedaling a stationary bicycle hooked up to a turbine. May our little pride and joy's pluckiness and determination be a single, if all too feeble, light unto the darkness of these holidays. I can't go well, looks like we're going to have to wrap this up. Merry Christmas, and God help us, everyone. And happy... But you were asking about no lights, Gina? Yeah. That also Okay, that also became relevant in the 70s. Uh, in 1973, late in 73, the first Christmas without a nativity scene... And the last Christmas of, you know, Dick and Pat. That was the less popular Rankin-Bass special, <laughs> I think. The year without a Christmas tree, yeah. Well, well Nixon, Nixon insisted on narrating himself, which was a huge mistake. <laughs> they call me Tap Miser, whatever I hear. <laughs> they put one big light on the tree, and they reflected lights off of it. So, you know, to save energy. Wow. And, you know, Nixon I mean, made a... What- sp- what a way to make an energy crisis more depressing. Exactly. And he made a speech about how, you know, we're all going to sacrifice but not suffer in 1974. And uh, during the hostage crisis later that decade with, you know, the similarly snake bit Jimmy Carter, I guess one year he had little Amy always pressed the button. It was her one presidential duty. And... To honor the hostages, you know, they strung the lights on the tree, but the tree didn't light up. And that was intentional. That honored the hostages how? I have no idea if the guy had... It's like a POW flag, but like... Yeah. Blamer (laughs) and sadder? It's making being a POW sadder? Yeah, Cardigan Boy was good at public gestures, and he might have won in 1980. Did they, did, they uh, yeah. did they at least have lots of yellow ribbons being tied on the uh, Who could I, see? I there were remember this because I was alive in that era, but I don't remember this. Yeah, I don't either. I mean, it's almost like the light of hope has burned out, but yet right. we still hope we'll be able to bring you back. I mean, what? Well, and I'm, I'm trying to think I of also, like... I happen on pretty good authority that Amy didn't push any buttons. She rode a bicycle to power. (laughs) That's what our sketches says. Anyway, she was really tired by Christmas because she was sick of power, you know, sick of lighting the white house on her little exercise. I'm just trying to imagine being one of the Iranian hostages coming back to the country. And you're like, it's hard enough to adjust. And someone comes up and says, you know, they canceled Christmas because of you. Right. (laughs) Well, that's because. That's also, also, of course, because it was all set up to uh, thank Jimmy's successor. And so, you know, so, you know, Nancy kind of balanced out the lean years with the crazy 80s years of uh, Nancy, Ronnie and Nancy. You know, the more I hear about the Carter administration, the more I'm glad our government doesn't ask us to sacrifice anything anymore. I mean, for God's sakes, the first Christmas tree, the first Carter Christmas tree, with his gift for both, you know, charity and condescension, the first family posted in front of the White House tree. This is how they describe it. Its ornaments were made and made by retarded adults and children from across oh, the country. Ouch. Oh, the 70s my. was a different time. <laughs> Right. Not different well, enough. Different. Later, they were disabled, and 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 I think that's still a tradition. Can't they, they be neurodiverse? Not in 1977, apparently. I don't think the word. I don't think the term was in circulation by then. No. Mm-hmm. 
Yikes. I think they also usually try to have people making them who are representatives of multiple states. Like they try to get ornaments from all 50 states. Yeah, they, well, they, they is... now, at least last time I went up to D.C. for the, the holidays, uh, they have a tree for every state and territory. 1979 has not been a bad year. That was his way of inspiring the crowd. And then afterwards, Amy Carter threw the switch to light the national Christmas tree. Only the star of hope on top and the blue lights on the 50 Christmas tree around the periphery lit up. One small tree for each hostage. Blue lights, no less. Exactly. The president announced that the rest of the lights would be turned on when the hostages came home. Was Which he was... going to leave the trees up then? Is that part of the hey, plan? I mean, some people leave the trees up until February, man. It's it's a thing. Yeah, my exactly. dad used February to of 1981 in this case. Well, also, be, <laughs> well, also because the last Christmas that's usually celebrated is Greek Orthodox Christmas, which happens towards the end of January. At least okay, that's that's just double dipping, Joe. Uh, yeah, my father kept using that excuse. I think we just he just didn't want to take the tree down. Now we were talking about you know making ornaments. Turns out, for seven out of the eight Christmases, Nancy Reagan worked with a uh, group called Second Genesis, which is actually a drug treatment program. And they created the ornaments for all of the uh, trees from 1982 on. Mm, Just say ho, ho, ho. Oh, man. (laughs) Just say no, huh? Just say no, 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 and let's just say ho, ho, ho. Just say no. Move that light to that blind spot, that, that dark spot over there. Does that almost make her human? Uh, no. Too long. Makes something. Okay, just checking. Makes- and now Dumont, the voice of American greatness, presents a White House Christmas, brought to you by the Imperial Defense Corporation. Live from the Oval Office, here's the Gipper himself, President Ronald Reagan. Good evening, my fellow Americans, and Merry Christmas from both Mrs. Reagan and myself. Hope you're having a merry little Christmas, all of you merry little people. Before we welcome some very special guests, Nancy and I are enjoying some good old-fashioned eggnog. Which may be gone by the time they get here. (laughs) My Nancy's a thirsty gal. Christmas has always been special to the two of us. We have such fond memories of spending Christmas mornings with our beloved children. Before the ungrateful little brats all grew up and stabbed us in the back. (laughs) Stay on mom's good side, kids. We hope that all Americans, regardless of race or religion or income or lack thereof, or height, or shoe size, or, or favorite jelly bean flavor. Realize that six years of lower government revenue and greater government spending are allowing Americans to enjoy this sacred holiday during a time of unprecedented prosperity. Even if most of you dress like peasants. And just as the three wise men mounted their asses and followed that light in the sky toward the humble manger that contained several animals talking to the savior of humanity, Bill Blast was born in a manger. So do the lost and hopeless today draw comfort from the very idea of America, that shining city on the hill, the land of good, hard-working, upstanding citizens. Except, of course, the drug addicts and welfare cheats. A nation that is warm and forgiving of its enemies. Even when we're dropping bombs on them. On this holiest of nights, I will be continuing my efforts to bring a just and lasting peace to the world by hosting the villain who presides over the evil empire and a man whom I'm proud to call my friend, Soviet Secretary General Mikhail Gorbachev. And don't forget his lovely wife, Raiza, the world's best-dressed communist. (laughs) Uh, Now, Mommy, maybe you should save some of that eggnog for our guests. They're flying in from Moscow, Ronnie. Shouldn't we serve them something to warm them up? Why, I'd be happy to prepare a scalding hot cup of tea for dear Raisa. You're such a thoughtful hostess, Nancy. Well, when you said my close friend Raisa Gorbachev would be our guest this Christmas, I had no choice but to put on the dog. Speaking of which, I think she's here. 
Merry Christmas, Misha and Raisa. Just Livogo Ros dead, Ronnie and Nancy. Uh, glad to see you're already drinking. We brought white Russians. Really? I, I wasn't aware there were any other kind. It's a drink, dear. They make it with vodka, Kahlua, and milk. You know, like from cows. Hello, Raisa. Zdravstvoite, Nancy, darling. I love your more is more approach to Christmas decorating, by the way. It's like you can't just say no to any shiny ornament. I do like to go a little overboard during the holidays. I wish more people would go overboard. I will serve as general secretary for this party. Can I pour anyone a glass nose of something from the bar? <laughs> Mr. Gorbachev, pour me a wall banger. You Reykjavik, Mironi. Oh, you're just the summon of wit, Raiza. That is why the foreign press can't get enough of her. Funny, you'd think there'd be more than enough of her to go around. I propose a toast. May the Cold War end soon. I wonder if the Cold War isn't already over. Actually, I am still feeling a bit of a chill. Salud! Salud, Nirani, not salute. So I can put my hand down? As long as it is not on the nuclear button. Well, some of us are going to be bombed in five minutes. Love the new diamond brooch, Raisa. Is it real? Of course, darling. Love the new hair color. Is it real? Oh, and I thought the bonds of Earth were surly. Okay, if we all talk about making Christmas ornaments, though, I do have a story, and this is maybe the only time that I'm going to get to tell this. So, uh, well, tell this to people who are listening to it, at least. <laughs> uh, my brother-in-law uh, worked in the Obama White House, and so was invited to uh, various Christmas events for all six or seven years he was working there. Um, and there is a time which was on... Uh, this is immortalized on uh, Good Morning America when my nephew, Owen, hi, Owen. I uh, hope you're not listening to this because it is definitely not appropriate for you. I believe we've been swearing <laughs> a lot, so apologies, <laughs> Owen. Um, where he, uh, they were making Christmas cookie ornaments uh, with uh, Michelle Obama. And there is a clip on Good Morning America of Michelle working with a couple of uh, young girls decorating the cookies and whatnot and my uh, my nephew behind her looking shiftily from side to side and then eating one of the cookies <laughs> and then, and then michelle turning to him and just giving him the most withering glare i've ever seen michelle Obama give a human being. well i believe that was part of that was part of her school lunch program was to stare down kids i mean who were yes. sneaking cookies you know you gotta and eat, honestly if, i've seen more kids christmas, in shape so it worked <laughs> if it was christmas yeah, vegetables she would have been drop and give me 50 i was gonna say go, you need to do 10 minutes of aerobics now <laughs> and that's why my brother-in-law doesn't work in the white house anymore <laughs> no, actually, it's, it's because not he's... your fault, Owen. <laughs> it's actually because he's too short to play basketball, and that's that is on his official uh, letter of recommendation from the president. <laughs> so, if you were a little taller, I... then we wouldn't have had to put up with Arnie Duncan as Secretary of Education for so many years. <laughs> Snake himself. Hi, John. Uh, you're in this one too. <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy! So that's my uh, personal presidential Christmas story. So it's totally relevant to the podcast. <laughs> Hi, America, and welcome back to AmericaFirstNews.ru, journalism of the people, for the people, to bias the people. Troubling news in the war on Christmas, as the holiday is held hostage in one Illinois town by the liberal agenda. Radical pro-immigrant activists have taken over the living nativity pageant in the sleepy hamlet of Naperville. Locals were shocked at the spectacle of bearded, robed men included in the beloved Christmas display, many believing them to represent people of Middle Eastern descent. As if this pandering weren't blatant enough, there was a woman in blue standing next to a donkey, an obvious attempt to legitimize the Democrats' stolen election. 
This radical leftist protest shamelessly inserted a trio of wealthy kings bringing gifts to a homeless child, like something out of AOC's sexy socialist fever dreams. <laughs> they might as well have a sign that says, eat the rich, right next to the one that says, goodwill towards men. We at AmericaFirstNews.ru spoke with anti-Christian activist, Sister Mary Collins. I'm sorry, I don't understand the question. The pageant is going on this year, same as always. The Christmas story is a beautiful tale of baby Jesus being born in a manger after being turned away from an inn. The only change this year is that all our performers are wearing masks and socially distancing. A likely story, but what about the radical Antifa thugs standing around behind the stage wearing all black, moving scenery? I heard them plotting to strike the set. Do you mean the stage managers? Clearly, these liberals will stop at nothing. The White House was quick to condemn this attack on Christmas. As a hotel owner, I am appalled at the vilification of the innkeeper. I always turn away refugees from my inns, especially ugly pregnant ones. And I own a bunch of hotels. I'm always turning away pregos from my hotels, which I own a lot of. The fake news media is always going on about the similarity between the nativity and my plan to make Mexican refugees sleep in barns behind my hotels and then have all their firstborn children put to death. But never how I won the election if you only count the votes for me that Santa found in his bag because I'm a very good boy. I don't know anything about this native kitty stuff, but I'm sure the Roman soldiers had very fine people who voted for me. And I know you won't say this on your lamestream media channel, but those shepherds were all Antifa and cast their vote illegally for my opponent instead of illegally for me. Mr. President, Mr. President, I'm Linda Barinda, MSNBC. What in the jingle bell hell was that? Stop the count. Count the votes. Uh, I forget which lie I'm using in this state. Trump then added, I sure hate Jews. I mean Muslims. Muslims. I hate Muslims. Heil Hitler. Cough. Excuse me. Is that still on? Before the vice president finally wrestled the microphone from his hands. We here at AmericaFirstNews.ru hope a swift and violent end meets these anti-Christmas radicals. What's that? Oh, uh, this just in. Terrorists, probably refugees, have opened fire at the Naperville Living Nativity, killing 30 people and two camels. The assailant was heard to shout, no room at the inn, and hashtag innkeeper lives matter. Republicans swiftly condemned this attack and... What? Breaking development. Turns out it was not a terrorist, but rather a patriotic young proud boy who was forced to defend himself from the violent existence of the Antifa, who were possibly there, maybe standing behind the camels. Reached for comment, Kaylee McEnany had this to say. Now is not the time for pointing fingers. What's that behind you? Smoke bomb! At which point she threw down a smoke bomb and escaped in the confusion. After these messages from our sponsors to the NRA, we will tell you how this attack is all the fault of Black Lives Matter. Stay tuned to AmericaFirstNews.ru, journalism of the people, for the people, to bias the people. Well, you know, this raises another question for me, though, which is, like, absent a personal connection like that, what is everyone's, I mean, some of us have had more presidential um, history under our belts than others have, but what what are your associations of Christmas and the White House or the president? I mean, is that, so I mean, I guess I'm kind of also going back to Tommy's question to a certain extent, like to what extent do we feel like Christmas is bound up in our national culture, like at that level? Like, I mean, it's obviously bound up in our national culture in the sense of you can't walk anywhere or do anything without seeing Christmas everywhere um, from like, Halloween until, you know, January 1st. But what are some of your memories or associations of presidents or first ladies and Christmas? Well, I kind of feel it's like the turkey pardoning, where it's one of those things that you really don't notice unless it goes really, really badly. 
um, cough the last six years cough. I was going to say I'm in I'm in a similar boat, but I, I would say I did not like growing up under Clinton and Bush. I didn't think much about like their Christmas traditions. It didn't dawn on me until everyone in the world criticized every decision the Obamas made uh, for for celebrating Christmas or not celebrating it. Like, I don't know. They did. They did the same stuff as everybody else, but it was wrong somehow. And then, of course, this last one where, like, the same people who were infuriated by, like, the look of their trees didn't care when someone said she didn't give a fuck about Christmas. <laughs> After proving it several times <laughs> yeah. with no. some horrific, stark Ikea Well, she Christmas. married she married Scrooge at the beginning of the novel. So, like, That's I don't, you know, <laughs> she made her choice. When I think of this time of the year in Washington, D.C., I don't think about anything Christmas-like. I think about the Kennedy Center honors, mm. in part because they always do it just before Christmas, which I always thought was, well, they run out of Christmas episodes of everything else, so the guy gets stick something in there. Uh, part of it is there is this curiosity of who are we honoring, although, again, not recently, but hopefully that will pick up again. And partly because then it's because I at least appreciate that it's a celebration of culture. Even when like one year it was Johnny Carson and the other year it was that great American group Led Zeppelin. That's sort of my association with Washington and the holidays is Kennedy Center, not New Year, not Christmas or New Year's. Christmas is usually a good time to be forgetting about Washington, except when we're embroiled in some national controversy. I mean, there was the juxtaposition of the Clinton impeachment drama with Christmas of 1998. You know, you could down your wassail and you could you could down your wassail and eat your figgy pudding and your jello mold, Patrick, and your jello mold. <laughs> and uh, tune in to see, you know, who had just had to, who had just quit as uh, Speaker of the House because, you know, they were found in bed with the married goat. Look, I think we should all just give thanks this Christmas that we are done with presidents having extramarital affairs. That'll never happen again. Oh, right. <laughs> I don't know. It was just the one time in the late 90s and never before or after. Was that during the holidays? What, the impeachment? No, well, no, Bill and Monica. Um, maybe around Christmas of 95, I mean. <laughs> uh, Sandy and Gina still haven't answered the question. It's true. What kind of like with with Tommy? Um, I really didn't pay much mind to it. I personally, you know, I celebrate the solstice with my kids. Um, they do um, actually have a, a Yule log burning next to all the all the uh, state trees on the on the lawn. At least they did. I don't know if they're doing it now. It's probably something else burning on the lawn with <laughs> Trump in office. Right. With the 32-foot menorah, too, on Lafayette Square. <laughs> now they're just burning Trump in effigy on the lawn. <laughs> That's nicer right. than I was but going no, with it. But. Yeah. but it wasn't until, like, the war on Christmas hoopla began, which probably was during the Obamas that it really came to head, although it might have been, like, during the... I, I think it started during, like, the Bush, the Bush years, but the Bush it years, really... Yeah. But they could really, like, tie it to a president with Obama. What about you, Gina? Well, um, my memory associated with DC, this is a true story. So when I was little, my grandfather, who I don't know, liked to torture the children a slight bit, I guess. <laughs> he told me one year when I was pretty little that the turkey, so, the, so I should back up one step and say that in my family, my grandfather was a butcher. Um, we always had Christmas and Thanksgiving. It was basically the same meal. We did a big, like, you know, the same kind of thing you do for Thanksgiving we did for Christmas also, like turkey stuffing, the whole nine yards. So he told me one year that the turkey that got pardoned at Thanksgiving was what they served for Christmas dinner. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's wonderful to be fair i think this year when trump pardoned them he just said good luck <laughs> so it wouldn't surprise me it's it has always amazed me that trump has managed to completely fuck up of all things 
the turkey pudding. And Every time he that's does one it. of the few things he really liked doing as president. That doesn't surprise me. But he always, but he, but he fucks it up every time. Oh, yeah. The first one can... he claimed he he was going to rescind the pardons on every turkey that Trump that Obama had pardoned. Of course he did. Uh, yeah, this year he he, he said just that. he just yeah, said he, good he luck. Did say that. He I, mean, did. I, I was kidding. He didn't. He didn't literally just say good luck. I was. <laughs> well, no, I was I mean, making but... sport of. The person I consider to be our worst president, but anyway. I mean, this year he just, uh, you know, tried to dress himself up as a turkey and give himself a pardon. And with that, thank you everybody who's ever been listening to us. Um, If you have the ability and the desire to give us a little help so that we can keep producing these shows, promote them a little more possibly even pay people like Tommy a little tiny bit to do something. Um, you. We, you can find DB Comedy at a wonderful website called Fractured Atlas, which is a kind of a clearinghouse website where if you have an idea, they may help you and give you not-for-profit status to do it. And they are not paying me to say that. But I will say that. We just want you to keep tuning in. And yes, the next episode that we will actually be doing is another special episode. And when we get back to our presidents, it's going to be the William Henry Harrison. And my eternal question, will the podcast be as long as this presidency? Download and find out. Say goodnight, everybody. Goodnight, everybody. everybody. Spread the cheer, spread the word, make a comment and let people here and have a good Christmas day. Or whatever you celebrate. Happy Boxing nope, Day. only Christmas. <laughs> Happy Festivus. Alright, we're done. DB Comedy presents The Electables. This episode's sketches were written, produced, and performed by Gina Pocola, Sandy Bykowski, Joseph Fedorko, Ramona Joy, Sylvia Mann, Paul Walton, Patrick J. Riley, and Tommy Spears. Original music written and performed by Throop McClurg. Audio production of the Electables podcast is by Joseph Fedorko. Sound effects procured at freesound.org. The Electables concept was created by Patrick J. Riley. Contributions to DB Comedy are graciously accepted by going to the DB Comedy donation page at fracturedatlas.com, who is the nonprofit fiscal sponsor of DB Comedy. Donations are tax deductible to the fullest extent allowed by law. For more information on DB Comedy and the Electables, visit DB Comedy's website, dbcomedychicago.com. Go to DB Comedy's episodes page at simplecast.com and follow us on Facebook at DB Comedy and Twitter at DB Comedy Chicago. Thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading. Happy whatever you celebrate. Don't forget to like. <laughs>